It's the show the establishment warned you about. That's right. This is the Dr. Tommy Show, and we are here to uh, entertain, enlighten, and provide analysis in a entertaining way. And this is uh, me flying solo because uh, Tracy is busy right now doing some labs. Uh, we came in today on a Saturday, which is unusual, but figure while we're here, we might as well go ahead and, and go over some of the news from the from the week that we found interesting. Uh, if you haven't joined us before, uh, feel free to check us out on drtommy.com slash podcast, and you can watch us on YouTube, Rumble, and listen to us on any of the podcast um, platforms, including Spotify and iHeart. So uh, this is something interesting. I wanted to share this because we are a concierge practice here, which means we are providing medical care without uh, outside uh, forces, for instance, insurance companies. Excuse me uh, for swallowing. But uh, so we, we are concierge practice. Some people do concierge medicine and uh, skirt the insurance providers. Some of them do direct primary care and skirt the insurance providers that way. But our particular brand is concierge medicine. And uh, what we do is our patients come in and we just deal with them directly. We uh, are not like some other concierge practices, which charge insurance in addition to the concierge fee for the, for the patient. So some practices you'll come in and you'll pay your regular copay. You'll pay your regular deductibles, everything else that normally applies. Then you pay a concierge fee on top. And then that fee allows you quote unquote, greater access to your physician. We don't do that. We don't do that. We do it the way um, I was interested in doing it when I came up, and is that we just, you come in, you're seen, uh, you have a physical as many times a year as you want to be seen, and then uh, we'll take care of you, we'll text with you, email with you, and so forth. And then after that, uh, we just, we take a payment from you directly without insurance company involvement. So um, why do I bring all that up? Well, because I have this, Amongst us, some of the stuff I get in email, I'm sure you all get a lot of stuff in email that you probably weren't signed up for. And this is one of those things, but it's from Sermo, which is a, um, it's kind of like a, I told Tracy, it's kind of like a social media for doctors. As far as I can tell, it's where doctors get on and it's kind of like a, a virtual doctor's lounge, maybe where you sit around and talk about things that are of importance to you. And they sent this email to me. And it says, uh, it's, a, it's from Sermo, and it says, the number of individuals who have a PCP has slowly been dwindling with the pop-up of urgent care centers, a hyper-focus on specialty care, and the fallout of primary care due to the pandemic. But according to the Kaiser Family Foundation, the federal government must aggressively bolster primary care and connect more Americans with a dedicated source of care, the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine warn in a major report that sounds the alarm about an endangered foundation of the U.S. health system. I just thought it was interesting because, you know, I think overall uh, this starts off completely on the wrong foot by saying the federal government must aggressively bolster primary care. Uh, it's probably because of the federal government that there isn't more primary care than there is now. And why do I say that? Well, if it wasn't for the federal government and Medicare, which is the controlling interest in uh, um, most all medical payments outside of these large 
companies like Kaiser and United Healthcare, but Medicare is who makes the world turn as far as payments are concerned, especially among specialty care. Medicare, which is Medicare Part B, which you get when you pay a premium, or Medicare Advantage, which is like uh, Medicare HMOs that people are aware of, like Humana, Medicare, whatever. Anyway, uh, this is saying that the federal government must aggressively bolster primary care. Well, I don't know if people understand how, how, how doctors are paid, doctors that are not paid like myself directly. Let's say you're a doctor and you are paid by an insurance company, for instance. And let's say you're a family doctor and you see a patient for 40 minutes or whatever it takes. And then after that, you submit a bill and it has all these different codes on it. And it has a bunch of different uh, uh, things that are specifically made for billing. So that it's not really about the patient so much as did you produce the proper number of codes, the right codes, and then and submit it correctly. And then after that, there'll be a period of time. There may be some um, back and forth between you and the insurance company. And then eventually, hopefully, you'll get a payment, which may or may not be enough to cover the cost of your 40-minute visit. So some doctors who work for these giant corporations, for instance, will probably be paid fine because these giant corporations are able to negotiate good rates with insurance companies and get paid. Um, but that that is... Uh, one of the things that drives people like myself to doing what we do because we don't want to work for a giant corporation. But if you wanted to be on your own, for instance, in doing medical care, um, family medicine, uh, the chances of you being able to do a, um, a primary care practice with the insurance infrastructure in place and be financially successful is pretty close to zero starting now. Now, if you started 10, 15 years ago, which I know people who have, then they built up enough of a patient profile where they can command from the insurance companies better payment. But if you're just uh, Joe or Jane, uh, solo practice MD out there, and you're trying to break into the insurance payment scheme, first of all, that's a very difficult process. Um, it, it, It requires credentialing, which is Oh, it's, it's like where you just have to apply for acceptance, basically, to the insurance companies to allow them to pay you on behalf of patients. So that takes another step. But either way, once you finally get that, if you, if you are a solo provider, the chances of you getting enough money to make your practice successful from that is, is very, very low. So what I say that the federal government must aggressively bolster primary care and connect more Americans with a dedicated source of care. Why is that wrongheaded? Well, it's because of the federal government exactly why we are in the situation we are. The federal government has these uh, reimbursement rules that are established through Medicare, and they're copied by insurance companies that say uh, a family doctor's uh, work is worth this many dollars, and then a uh, a radiologist's work is worth this many dollars, and then um, a cardiologist's work is worth this many dollars. And it's I don't even remember all the verbiage now because I've been so far from it. But RVUs is one of the uh, one of the terminologies they use. And anyway, these are all just these arbitrary numbers that are well, not arbitrary. They they come to them. These experts come to these numbers, and then they uh, assign them to uh, certain specialties. And depending on what assignment you get, depends on how much money you're going to be reimbursed through Medicare, and then later through insurance companies, because insurance companies will either usually pay more than Medicare or pay, you know, a percentage of Medicare, but usually it's more than Medicare. It is one thing about Medicare is it, 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 
is more universally uh, uh, equal as far as payments are concerned uh, than the insurance companies, but it's equally low. Like a lot of times when the government makes things equal, they make them equally low. Um, so the federal government must aggressively bolster primary care. And then so it says in a recent poll, 91% of global CERMO physicians said that primary care is a, quote, essential common good akin to public education. And 87% believe that Medicare and Medicaid should shift money to primary care and away from the medical specialties that have long commanded the biggest fees in the U.S. system. That's one way to do it. The other way to do it is to get rid of uh, the interference that's between doctors and patients. And then by that measure, you will see a natural increase in the number of primary care doctors or whatever whatever doctors are in need from a uh, from the standpoint of the, the public. So... 87% believe that Medicare and Medicaid should shift money to primary care. And that's not wrong to think that. It probably is true. My point is it's not going to really help in the long term because in the long term the problem is not that Medicare and Medicaid are temporarily uh, not paying enough to primary care. The problem is is that Medicare and Medicaid distort uh, the market prices such that there are a, there is a shortage of family doctors. Because family doctors, if you're if you're in medical school and you want to go to medical school and be a family doctor, you have to come out of that knowing that you're going to be if you if you if you follow the route of the uh, insurance route, you're going to be among the lower paid uh, people that there is in uh, medicine. And some people say, "Well, I don't I don't care. I mean, money money doesn't mean that much to me." But at the end of the day, you want to be paid what you're worth, and you don't want to be paid. A fraction of what someone else has paid just because they happen to be in a, a specialty that is remunerated better by the powers that be, such as uh, Medicare. Eighty um, percent said their opinion Medicare is slowly dying, and eighty-one percent have seen their primary care spending decrease in their state or region. So, when I started medical school, eighty percent of eighty uh, percent of doctors probably felt that way or less. I think as time goes on, more and more people are becoming uh, of the opinion that medical care, primary care is slowly dying. But this article to me just brought back to the fact that what we do as a, a concierge medicine practice, why what we do is different and, and why the people who believe that the government is going to be able to step in and then uh, help make things better are their, I think they're uh, 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 wishful thinking. This is interesting. This is from the C. This is from Breitbart. It says CDC considers increasing time between vaccines to cut risk of heart inflammation. So apparently, the CDC has uh, looked at some data among uh, uh, people who have had uh, myocarditis and uh, pericarditis, and said maybe we should space out the shots because of this. This is interesting because. Um, Usually, this is the type of thing that's done in the trial. So, these types of things are usually done in the trial. So, it would be interesting to know. We're not going to know um, the initial trial to make the medicine "quote unquote" available from the FDA standpoint. That is, um, we're not going to know for at least, I believe, it's six months now from the uh, from from the latest court ruling when the Pfizer has to produce the documents that they have. Uh, related to how their uh, shot was approved. Initially, Pfizer wanted 75 years, which 
uh, if you're doing the math, would mean that most everybody who got the shot today would be dead or close to dead at the time the, the papers came out talking about what, what went into getting the shots approved. Anyway, so a judge, someone is sued, and uh, now a judge has said, look, it has to be done now, and it has to be done within six months, I believe it is. Anyway, so, but like I said, usually that stuff, we don't know how many myocarditis cases there were during the, the, the uh, or at least I don't, maybe there's someone out there who does uh, listening, but the point is, is that if there was myocarditis cases, we didn't hear about it. At least as enough to cause concern to make the uh, dosing of the shot different than it is. And it says, according to the CDC, the proposed changes would apply to the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, which use mRNA technology. Under the current guidelines, the two Pfizer vaccines are given three weeks apart, and the two COVID vaccine doses from Moderna are given four weeks apart. It says, now reports of an uptick of myocarditis after vaccination, particularly in men ages 18 to 39, prompted researchers to investigate time between shots. Vaccine researcher Dr. Nicola Klein explained to the committee on Friday. So this is kind of a, I don't know if this is something that if, if, if you had your shot, if they talked about this, but it was something that we covered on a podcast previously is uh, what is the... Um, what is the informed consent that people get when they get a, a vaccine? And does it include uh, discussion of myocarditis or pericarditis? And if it does, great. But ask me this, answer me this question as well. Uh, what other vaccines have you had in your life where you've had paper given to you that said um, it may cause you to have heart inflammation? I don't recall any personally. Uh, but there, it'd be interesting to know that this is from, uh, this is from international news from our friends north of the border, Canadians, uh, it says, uh, this is from the blaze. It says Canadian court freezes millions of dollars of donations to freedom convoy on give, send, go. So this freedom convoy of these truckers who are, are blocking the roads up in Canada and doing so in protest of the vaccine mandates, many of the truckers vaccinated, but opposing vaccine mandates placed on other truckers who aren't, and opposing the uh, infringement on their independence in general, have uh, have protested and, and caused a problem in Ottawa, amongst other places. It says brought the city of Ottawa to a standstill. Um, it says, uh, but this gives and go is a alternative to. Um, uh, the other one, which I can't think of right now, GoFundMe and GoFundMe by, um, had $10 million in their accounts for these, uh, truckers, associated truckers. And they froze those, uh, monies did not send them to the truckers. And then what they did was they, uh, said they were going to send it to, to, uh, other charities that they approved. And this uh, caused an uproar, obviously. And GoFundMe then said, "Okay, never mind. We're gonna we're not gonna give them the money, uh, but we are going to return the money to the people who who gave the money." So that that's an improvement of of sorts. So some of those people said, "Well, I'm going to take my money that I got refunded from GoFundMe. Instead of sending a hundred dollars to the truckers through GoFundMe, I'm going to send it through Give Send Go, which is a Christian, uh, as far as I understand, donation platform." Um, but then it says here, the Canadian court froze access of millions of dollars donation intended to support the freedom convoy trucker protest 
on the donation platform GiveSingo. The court order was made at the behest of Ontario Premier Doug Ford in an attempt to quash the protest against the lockdown that has brought the city of Ottawa to a standstill. So they're protesting against basically COVID management in general by uh, Justin Trudeau at all. It says the campaign had reportedly raised nearly $8.5 million for the convoy before the accounts were frozen. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting, too, that the way they, they talk about this. It says on Wednesday, Ford tweeted that he had met with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau about what he called a, quote, occupation of Ottawa and Windsor. We will continue working together to support our police forces as they manage these situations. Uh, we agreed this must come to an end. <laughs> this is kind of hilarious because I'm pretty sure... Uh, Mr. Justin and Ford, when the uh, Occupy, uh, you know, the CHOP zone and the the, or the Summer of Love with the mostly peaceful protest, pretty sure that they would never, ever uh, come on and say that we, we were going to call this an occupation. And um, but they are. Um, uh, they're doing that here. And it's interesting because like I said, we don't, we don't usually see this with, uh, people calling protesters occupiers, except if it's protesting against, uh, government, then maybe you will see that. This is another thing on, on Trudeau. This is from the gateway pundit. It says, uh, Trudeau holds panicked press conference, blames American consequences, Blames Americans and consequences to joining convoy to get more severe. So following a night of frantic meetings with cabinet officials to discuss crackdowns on protesters, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau vowed on Friday to do, quote, whatever it takes to shut down the grassroots freedom convoy that has gridlocked the country's capital. Everything is on the table, he claimed during the press briefing, including the eventual use of military force if protesters continue with their blockades. That's wonderful. These guys, uh, they really don't understand that whatever they're doing on their end is not going to make truckers more happy and more inclined to go home or more inclined to take their their haul to whatever uh, waiting warehouse or stores are waiting for it. But they will never know this because they are too insulated in their in their groups or bubbles to think that anyone would have the temerity to to question their their wisdom as as the government rulers so he's he's here saying that we're going to use military force on protesters and i can tell you if they do something like that it's only going to make things worse um this is uh from trudeau the illegal blockades are hurting canadians they're endangering jobs they're a threat to our economy and to public safety the blockades are hurting small businesses neighborhoods okay that all may all be true um question is why are they doing these blockades uh, are they doing it because they are they're mean? Are they doing it because they want more money? Are they doing it because uh, they are uh, racist? Are they doing it because they're homophobes uh, or transphobes? No, they're they're doing that basically because they're protesting the fact that they are made to do something that they don't want to do to their own body. Uh, so this is something that the people, like I said, who are in power. It just never, never comes, never enters their mind that someone would uh, oppose uh, doing doing things to themselves that the government thinks is good for them. H.L. Uh, Mencken said, paraphrasing, that there is no tyrant 
worse than the tyrant who's doing things for the good of the person because they are only subjected to their own uh, limitations as far as what they think is, uh, is, is, is necessary. So when someone's ruling over you and doing things for your own good, like that of a parent or a child over a child, they're the worst tyrants because like Justin Trudeau, who is advocating for forced vaccination and lockdowns when and back the way, which neither one of those has been shown to do anything of statistical significance in reducing the number of COVID cases. You can make an argument. I think that the, the vaccine may give you some uh, improvement in your symptoms. And I think that's what the, the, the general consensus is that it does do that but we don't know for how long. And we also don't know, like we were talking about earlier, what all the side effects are because we're, it's kind of, you're not allowed to talk about that. Uh, but anyway, even so, who is to say that you now must be forced to do that? Uh, I can tell you that if, if Americans exercised 30 minutes a day, uh, preferably weight bearing exercise, but if they can't do that, uh, seated aerobic exercise, if you're older, and if they ate three meals a day and those meals did not uh, have a, an abundance of carbohydrates or salt or processed ingredients, that those people would live a healthier life. Uh, now, do I take that, therefore, and say, now you must do all these things that I say because it's going to be good for you? No. Can't do that. This is <laughs> our wonderful president. I can't make this up. This is from the Daily Wire. It says, Biden sent the black community crack pipes. Social media erupts in response to smoking kit, quote, racial equity initiative. This is sounds insane, but it's true. It says on Monday, it was widely reported that President Biden's Department of Health and Human Services were planning to implement a $30 million grant program, which would include handing out safe smoking kits to drug addicts. Applicants for grants are prioritized if they treat a majority of, quote, underserved communities, including African-Americans and LGBTQ plus persons, as established under President Joe Biden's executive order on, quote, advancing racial equity. The Washington Free Week one reported. Um, this is pretty funny because uh, I, I don't know of anything that could be more racist than doing this. And yet here is Joe Biden, the standard bearer for the Democrat Party, which is if, if we are to if we are to watch the media or listen to the media or or or, or listen to what even the establishment says, they are the most uh, racially sensitive party out there. And here he is, Joe Biden and his administration, the people who run Joe Biden, uh, saying that we need to send uh, smoking kits, which had in them apparently crack pipes uh, to African-Americans to advance racial equity. I mean, what does that even, I don't even understand that, but what I think it is, is that there is a problem in the cabinet and this is not just the Biden administration, but government in general that are in the establishment. They live in such a, such a bubble that they don't realize that this comes off as a racist when they do it. They think it comes off as compassionate, just the same way that they don't think it's racist when they do any number of things that they say, that are to treat this or that population or to, to give them special treatment. So that I saw this thing on, a, I think it was HBO, or maybe it was YouTube. Anyway, maybe it was Netflix. They're all the same, really, uh, as far as their corporate messaging is concerned. 
But anyway, it was about celebrating black history. And then it had a, um, it had a show and the show said, uh, it was a series, I believe. And it says it was, it was a true series. It was, a, it was like a documentary and it was following this family. I believe it was a family. And they said, uh, uh, and I can't remember exactly, but it said basically the description of the show is this is a comprehensive viewpoint about what it is like to be a, a black American. And it says, including intersections with uh, the justice system, uh, sports, and uh, something else. I couldn't remember what it was. But it's interesting to just think that from the viewpoint of these corporate people, these corporate uh, marketers, they think that to be a black American among the, I can't remember what the third thing was, but among the two of the three things that you have to be interested in is a criminal justice system and, and sports. And <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just don't get it. It says back to the article. Uh, it says critics immediately slammed both the policy position and the Snopes rating. So Snopes says it was mostly false because they said they weren't issuing crack pipes. They were issuing safe smoking kits. So Snopes is the uh, fact checker for the left. Uh, used to be considered a uh, reliable source for checking uh, hoaxes. Like, was there an alligator really in the toilet of someone in uh, New York City that bit them? Things like that. But now Snopes, like many social media companies and other companies, has just become an outlet for whatever the uh, left wing talking point of the day is. And so they say it was mostly false. They weren't distributing crack pipes. And actually, they listened to Jen Psaki had a a press conference and she said, no, there was no crack pipes in these smoking kits. I don't know why they're called a smoking kit. There's no crack pipe, but there's most no crack pipes in the smoking kits. What they do have though, is they have alcohol swabs and I believe they have needles in there too. So the safe smoking kit is basically the safe drug kit for, uh, targeted to black communities. You know, there's some, um, there's a conspiracy theory, I guess you call it out there. It says the CIA or the government developed crack cocaine and infiltrated the uh, inner cities of America in order to enslave uh, mostly black people, black and brown people to crack cocaine. And I used to think that's 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 crazy. That's tinfoil stuff. That's uh, black helicopters. (laughs) Tell you, the longer it goes on, the less I become um, surprised about the things that the government is able to do in a in a in a way that is destructive to ours to us as a as a as a race human race and society and things that are done both intentionally and presumably out of out of um, good faith i don't know a 30 million dollar grant program now this is better to use these for safe smoking kits than it is to help those people who are addicted to drugs get off of drugs, I guess, in the minds of the Biden Department of Health and Human Service. But that's pretty amazing. This is from Dana Loesch responding. It says, let me understand this. If you give someone a crack pipe that you bought with your own money, that's a crime. But if government gives someone a crack pipe bought with your money, that's okay. That's it for today. Now, we're listening here in the free state of Florida where uh, we, we practice in central Florida, Tampa. And if you're in the area, please come see us if you're interested in having a uh, uh, more one-to-one medical relationship with your medical team, myself and Tracy, which is uh, my wife and the nurse and administrator of the business. 
here at Echelon Health. So uh, we're here for you if you need us. And thank you for listening. Uh oh. That's my Tony Soprano ringtone. Anyway, thank you for listening. And if you are, uh, if you want to listen further, go to drtommy.com slash podcast. And like I said, there's many places you can listen there. And also there's some free uh, links there to some uh, discounts or some uh, special offers for uh, Pure Talk, Atlas MD, and I think Athletic Greens too. So Athletic Greens is a nice little supplement to try. So thank you for joining us. And until next time, bye-bye. 